the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. by Bill Bullington. For the next hour, you'll receive information on current market conditions and trends that could affect your financial future. If you have a question, you can participate in today's program by calling 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0WHK. You can also reach Bill by going to his website, bullingtoncapital.com. And now, here's Bill Bullington. Welcome back. Happy belated New Year. Yeah. Glad to be around for another exciting time. Most times are pretty exciting these days. I mean, it's unbelievable how much uh, stuff goes on. But anyway, um, listen, I'm going to be talking about a, a, quite a few topics here. Uh, I'm going to try to cover basically economy in general. First 15 minutes, the next 15 minutes, we're going to talk about how to increase the amount of income you might be able to generate from your portfolios. Um, And the last 15 minutes, we'll go ahead and just talk about individual stocks. And I have a couple of stock stories that have been requested. These are old, old stories. So, um, uh, yeah, next week, maybe I'll, I'll think of different new stories that might be similar to some of the old stories. There are some companies out there, they're just knocking it out of the park, doing very, very well. And uh, even though it doesn't look like much, if you're looking at the stock market in general, you look at the S&P 500, and it's about where it was, just barely above where it was in November, you know, at the beginning of the month in November. And, um, but that's how the market goes. It's, It's up and down all the time. And never stays still. And that's the uh, probably the hardest part, I think, of investing is knowing what to expect. And uh, <laughs> when I say knowing what to expect, what some people think is I'm saying I know what the market's going to do. Nope. You know why? Because I know what to expect. And you'd better expect that the market's going to do things that you didn't think they would do. That's the key. It's going to go up. It's going to go down. It's not going to tell you ahead of time when it's going to do that. But if you pick your stocks fairly well, do them over a fairly long time period, uh, I like funds mostly these days, especially the uh, exchange-traded funds, because they've, uh, they've progressed significantly. There are thousands of them now, though. I mean, it's that's like most... Good things, they, they overdo a good thing occasionally. But uh, if you know what to look for, if you're comfortable with the management styles, uh, it's one of the reasons that uh, I have a job, by the way, because yeah, it takes a lot of work. And there's a lot of work involved, and it takes a lot of patience. Uh, you've got to be incredibly patient. But 
having said all that, you've, you guys have heard all that before. Um, I think the, uh, um, the way the economy is running right now, it's pretty interesting. I mean, when they say it's different this time, nine out of 10 people are trying to defend a stock with a valuation, uh, a stock that's overpriced and why it's going to keep going. That Nine out of 10 conversations I've had in my career, when somebody has, has brought up the phrase, well, it's different this time, that's what they were talking about. Uh, if they hang around long enough, they're going to realize it wasn't that much different. <laughs> and an overpriced stock is going to drop like a rock. Actually, a, a fairly priced stock, a, a good company, will drop like a rock when the entire market's going down. And so it's important that you understand the difference between a good company and a company that's not so good uh, or that's riskier so that you can build your portfolio around that kind of stuff. Now, today, there are, uh, they call them algorithms. They're basically mathematical formulas that they apply to the stock market, and they pull out stocks. Let's say they have a, a return on assets that's 10% or better. Actually, these days, 5% would be pretty good. Yeah, but if you have a return on assets of 10% or better, uh, the company's share price has done fairly well over the past year. How do you know? Because the capitalization is higher than it was. Share price has gone up. They measure that with capitalization. So you could just take those two variables and then set maybe a size. I'm just, I just want the top third, and I want the ones that have the best current momentum that also have the most profitability. By the way, that would work very well. And, in fact, there are ETFs out there that do stuff incredibly similar to that. One of them does exactly that. That's, that's why I use those, <laughs> those figures. The, um, but it would give you a, uh, it, it's very reasonable. Doesn't it make sense if a company is growing its sales and profits, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, or has a certain amount of profitability? That's the other variable I forgot to mention, that the, the sales are, are not going down, <laughs> that sales are actually going up. And so if a company's growing its sales and it's very profitable okay, and the share price is moving in the uh, higher direction, you could throw a couple of other factors on there, but that's actually probably the most popular one. There are multiple versions of that. And over long time periods, it's done very well. I mean, done very well. And there are time periods where you wish you'd never heard of stocks. You know, that's, that's the way the stock market goes. And, uh, the, the real risk for the vast majority of people is... You know, it's not being in or in or out of stocks. It's what time in your lifetime are you in or out of stocks? You're, you're probably always going to need them because over longer time periods, stocks have done better than other investments. CDs and bonds right now are paying next to nothing. Uh, you can get some income from annuities. Um, those have, you got to be real careful because they've, they've all got different uh, holding periods before you can get out of it without a penalty. Uh, some of them are taking different types of risks. Some of them are actually as risky as just regular old stock funds. But uh, anyway, so you got to be careful with that. We'll talk a little bit about that in the second part of today's show. But um, one of the things that, uh, I, uh, again, we were talking about was uh, the economy in general. Stocks generally do better. Um, here was an article that, that showed up in the Wall Street Journal. Actually, it showed up on the uh, 4th of January which is uh, just yesterday. Anyway, um, I just thought it was interesting enough that I would, I would kind of uh, read to you straight from the article. <laughs> so I guess, it, am I required to, to say who wrote the article when I'm uh, talking about an article? I'm talking to my producer right now. But uh, I'll, I'll tell you who did it anyway. His name is Sam Goldfarb. 
So from the Wall Street Journal. Anyway, the double threat of an unpredictable pandemic and looming interest rate increases is tempering investors' optimism heading into 2022, a contrast to their vaccine and stimulus-fueled enthusiasm of a year ago. Investors had plenty to feel good about over the holidays, supported by an economic rebound even stronger than most had expected. Not if you listen to my show. (laughs) Because it was back in March of 2020 when the market was bottoming, and I'm saying, hey, this is an opportunity. Go listen to the show. It's on my website. Or or you can look it up through uh, iTunes. Go pull those shows. Pull up, listen to the shows of March of 2020. So... Anyway, just had to straighten that guy out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anyway, investors had plenty to feel good about over the holidays, supported by an economic rebound even stronger than most had expected, except for us. The S&P 500 climbed 27% in 2021, the third largest gain in the past 20 years. Now, that was actually surprising that the S&P would go up that much. U.S. crude surged 55% to roughly $75 a barrel. That's not that surprising given the fact that, you know, they shut down a lot of the shipping and the shipping and transportation, it still hasn't cleared up yet. I ordered a uh, a couple pieces of furniture a year and a half ago. They're still not here. <laughs> a year and a half. I should get some kind of a discount for that. Anyway, uh, so interest rates on corporate bonds hovered around all-time lows, reflecting little perceived risk of default after a year in which few businesses went bankrupt. Yeah, by the way, the reason why few businesses went bankrupt bankrupt was because the fed was stepping up and bailing a lot of companies out go out and you know what i'm you know what really makes me glad to have google is you can listen to what i'm saying and you can search it and you can see the articles the uh the federal bank i'm sorry the uh the fed stepped up and saved a lot of oil and gas companies who were really suffering and they did it because they uh and they needed to save them because they were a big part of the overall economy they helped them out they did some refinancing, so you can go in and look that up. And uh, it was the first time, by the way, that had ever been done at that level. And I thought that was that was pretty neat. They've stepped up before, just not the same level that they stepped up this time. And it wasn't directly as direct as it was then. Anyway, heading into 2021, economists surveyed by the Wall Street Journal had expected that U.S. economy would grow 3.7 over the course of the year. Instead, it likely expanded more than 5%. The unemployment rate fell well below what economists had anticipated. The, uh, I made a joke about economists uh, when I was in college, when I was studying those classes, and uh, it was basically an economist's job is to make a fortune teller look good. <laughs> and when you think about it, I mean, everybody wants them to tell you, every, everybody wants to know the future. I mean, they all want to know the future. And with all the variables that are out there, the, the things that could potentially happen, it's incredibly difficult to get that correct. And if you do, more than likely, it's going to be because of luck. And sooner or later, your luck is going to run out. So you don't need to know exactly what the future is going to hold to be successful. And by the way, nobody that's ever been successful had that advantage that I know of. I've had a crystal ball for 30 years. It's never worked. It's a real crystal ball. Come into my office. I'll show it to you. Yeah. And actually, I used to have it on the front of my desk. It started started making new couples kind of anxious. I'd see them looking at each other when they saw the crystal ball. <laughs> I w- they didn't realize I was doing it. was just a joke. <laughs> but anyway. 
So still few investors, few investors expect 2022 to go as well as 2021. Surprise, surprise. But uh, with the Federal Reserve on the verge of raising interest rates, a new COVID-19 variant sweeping the country and government aid to families dwindling. Already, oil prices have slipped 11% since their highs in late October, reflecting traders' concerns of the slowing demand for fuel. The S&P spent much of the last two months trading sideways, while some speculative investments, such as shares of smaller, fast-growing tech companies, fell sharply, hurt by fears that they would be especially vulnerable to tighter monetary policies. The tighter monetary policies that they're talking about uh, would be the Fed not buying back, buying a bunch of bonds from the banks and giving them cash to go out and make loans with, uh, which also causes interest rates to rise when you don't have access to inventory that you can, you know, that's the bank's inventory. It's cash. We get cash from the Fed. We lend it out. We make a a spread on what we charge and what we pay the Fed. If they don't have as much inventory, guess what? Their, uh, Their earnings tend to go down. I would tell you this, the vast majority of banks make most of their money on transactions and fees more than on the interest expense. So, but you're doing fewer transactions. So, you know, actually it's kind of a double whammy when, when they stop buying or refinancing the, uh, your local banks across the country through their repurchases or purchases, then yeah, you've got less inventory and things slow down. So there's that, which is really wild because there was a, this is in the wall street journal and I turned the page and there were other articles talking about, how interest rates driving uh, are going up would cause the economy to go down uh, and that they thought that they were going to raise rates and they're going to raise rates enough to cause the economy to slow down. I don't know that they would do that at this point. They might, but it wouldn't be very smart. And these guys are really smart. And the guys that are running the Fed right now, they're hyper-intelligent. And I just don't know that they would have the courage to start raising interest rates to a significant level because that would put a huge slam on the economy and stock prices would start to come down. Eventually, they would come back up again. They would. In fact, you know, 10 years from now, there's a really good chance that stocks are going to be selling for higher prices than they are today. I hope that it's not that we don't have to wait the full 10 years for that to happen <laughs> because that's what happened if, if you waited, if you invested in March of 2000, right at the height of the internet bubble. It was actually 2010 or 2012 before you got your money back, before you were back at break even. There was a 10-year period there, a little over 10 years, with negative returns. So the stock market is substantially higher than it was back in those days. But can you really take a period, a 10-year period, or a five-year period, with no returns or with negative returns. And that, that's one of the big risks for the people who are retiring today. The retirees, which make up the fastest growing segment of the population, every day 10,000 people turn 60. They're starting to think about retiring. You don't want to have 10 years at the age of 60 with negative returns, right? So there are only certain things you can do. And, and by the way, predicting what the market's going to do in advance is not an option. That, if you manage to do that, it's going to be luck. It won't be skill. And, you know, I had to learn. I, I learned really early. My luck was horrible. I had to figure out what, how things actually worked. Because if I relied on my luck alone, um, 
probably wouldn't even be here right now. <laughs> so anyway, I hear the music. I got to take a real quick commercial break. You're listening to Bill Bullington right here on 1420. Stay tuned because I will be right back. Have you gone too far to find the middle ground? Did they raise you so high just to pull you back down? Have you been so lost you could never be found? Cause I've been real, I've been fake. Listen to Bill Bullington right here on 1420, and I think this is carried on the uh, Fishes podcast, and it's also on my website, BullingtonCapital.com. If you hear anything you'd like more information on, feel free to reach out to me. Um, I normally don't speak like I do on the radio. I kind of get excited when I'm reading a lot of this stuff, so it's uh, I'm normally a little more <laughs> controlled, but uh, I re- it really gets under my skin, though, when somebody writes something that's not completely accurate or it's got an angle that that's trying to mislead people that just that that bothers me so that that's why I get the the angst in my voice but uh, anyway um, we're going to where we're talking about the economy and here's the uh, um, this guy's an investment strategist for a, one of the major banks in the country and he said the biggest risk to, to riskier assets such as stocks is that there are inflation problems that push the Fed to tighten too much Tighten means raising interest rates or buying back bonds. Uh, that's called monetary policy. If, if you buy the debt, let's say that the banks go out and they borrow money from the Fed so that they can turn around and loan it, make profits on that money. If the Fed says, okay, you got to pay us up now, then they got to go uh, find that cash. It's going to slow down their, their activity, cause them to raise interest rates on new loans uh, and uh, – Basically, you'll have an overall slowing in the in the general economy, and that's what he was saying. That the inflation problems that push the Fed to tighten too much. If the Fed uh, continues to do that, and inflation keeps rising, and people have a hard time making payments on a lot of those loans, that could be bad. But and that can always happen. By the way, it doesn't have to be um, inflation. There are other things that could disrupt that. Um, wars have a good tendency to do stuff like that. But, you know, and they will inflect, uh, affect the inflation rate. So inflation on its own. Inflation doesn't just happen by itself. And the pandemic-related supply disruptions were noted. And uh, that is, uh, I just, I still can't believe it. I, I really don't understand why it's been so long, but I'm not there. I'm, I'm not part of the shipping companies. And I know that they want to ship their goods and get paid. Um, but uh, it's, this pandemic has been unlike, when they say it's different this time, this pandemic was different this time. In fact, you know, I'm always saying it's always different. Anyway, back to the article. Such anxieties have been particularly evident in the bond market where yield on longer-term treasury bonds have remained stuck in a narrow range below 2%, even as short-term yields have, cli- yield have, yields have climbed. I say that. Suggesting that investors are both worried about the economic outlook and confident that the Fed is going to raise rates around three times in 2022. Famous last words. I'm going to write that. I'm going to mark this down and on the, my calendar and come back next year at this time and, and see if that actually happened. 
that's one of the things I, I learned watching a bunch of the studies and listening to a bunch of accountants' reports is they probably shouldn't forecast. <laughs> You're a, like I said, and it's not their fault. I mean, they're, they're required to because you know why? It's because the newspapers and the publications require them to make, you have to make a forecast. We don't care what it is, you're going to make a forecast. They're doing it because they know the public wants that. Instead of being honest and saying, well, this could potentially happen, it, the likelihood might be X percent. Now, that doesn't get people excited. What gets people excited is when they say inflation's higher, interest rates are going higher because of pandemic-related supply disruptions. That sounds really like you know what you're talking about. And so you got to be careful when you're reading the uh, uh, any economic publication, any research in general. You know, I, that's one of the reasons I, I try to read a lot. I try to get a consensus of multiple uh, opinions. And then when you do that, you're going to find out that, that people are all over the map. And you're better off. It, it's not important that you're able to predict what's going to happen to be able to protect yourself. And by the way, it's kind of like, you know, getting wet because of rain. Uh, instead of trying to predict when the rain is going to be in your neighborhood, why would you not just look out the window before you went outside? If your goal is not to get wet, <laughs> why wouldn't you just observe what's happening right now? Uh, and uh, also, just bring an umbrella. The, uh, that's If you don't want to get wet, bring an umbrella. Be prepared. Okay, And... When you've got a, a, a really well-diversified stock portfolio for a portion of your money, you've got some of your money. Now, I used to buy a lot of bonds. Bonds are, are not paying enough, in my opinion, to pay a lot of attention to. Uh, the only reason I have bonds in my portfolio is to keep the risk, keep the portfolio from fluctuating by 50%. You know, the S&P was down 50% twice in one 10-year time period, and the average fund was down over 50% too, and some of the funds were down more than that. It took 10 years to recover. That's why we have uh, some bonds because the bonds didn't drop like that. And I think they were down about 10 or 12, but bonds have a tendency to come back a whole lot quicker. So, And 10 or 12% in short-term bonds is a huge drop, by the way. Uh, and it took the magnitude of a gigantic drop, the one you saw in 2008 and 2009, to see that happening in those high-quality bond funds. The high-quality bond funds dropped a lot. And uh, it's really funny because a, a lot of the things that people, uh, when you're reading financial publications, and see, the biggest problem, I, th I think, after 30-some years of doing this, is that a lot of the journalists are trained in journalism, and they don't really have a lot of, of economic background or financial backgrounds. Um, they try to pick it up by reading it, you know, as they're covering these things when they're young and and. Over time, some of them are actually pretty good. I don't want to really paint the whole industry that way. But a lot of them just, they don't really care. They, they know how to write a good story that will keep your attention, but sometimes they don't really stick to the facts. And the facts are you've got interest rates right around 1%. I think 1.2, 1.3 for a 30-year U.S. government bond. When you hear of an interest rate that's paying more than 25 to 3%, I'm going to tell you there's risk there. There's some risk there. Unless you're getting it, at, well, even a fixed index annuity or a fixed annuity, 
has risk to it. The insurance companies are highly regulated. You're, you're hoping that they're being honest and that they deserve the ratings that they have. I stick to A-plus rated companies. I just don't want to go lower than that because it, I just don't think it's worth the risk, the credit risk. Yeah, they, I want them to be there to pay off You know when I need the money, when my clients need their money. So, And those rates, by the way, today uh, are pretty high. It depends on your age as to what you can get uh, in... Uh, it just depends on your age. Um, they even they don't even dis- distinguish anymore between male and female. So I think that's kind of interesting. They got one schedule for that. But payout rates, I was just looking at something. Uh, they're different numbers, and I feel bad for the general public because a lot of this is really complicated. But just the, uh, uh, the payout rate, that would be the rate that you're going to get from the investment itself. That can be expressed in a percentage or a dollar amount. I'm looking at a website here, and if you'd like to to get a link to this website so you can go in and see what you might be able to get, uh, on 100000 bucks. guy's 66 years old, going to be 67 next year, plans on taking Social Security. So puts $100,000 in. Uh, next year, he's going to get 5956 bucks. That's the guaranteed lifetime income today as it stands. And by the way, the guarantees are only as good as the underlying company is making them. Um, if the uh, company goes belly up, another insurance company will come in and buy up the assets, and they're going to renegotiate that. Um, that doesn't happen very often, but it could. Okay, So uh, everything has some risk to it. A CD's got risk. You know why? Because the inflation rate right now is about four times higher than the CD rate, and the CD rate is taxable. You have to pay tax on the income you get from a CD. So if you got a 1% CD, which is really hard to find right now, but if you, if you had a 1% CD and you had 100000 bucks, you'd get $1,000 before taxes. After taxes, you're probably going to get about 850 bucks, 900 bucks at, you know, at the most. So 900 bucks, it doesn't go a whole long, a long way on 100000 bucks. So if you're looking to, if your goal is to be able to have an, a source of income, and you may not, you may want to look at the annuities because they do make sense. And it doesn't have to be from me or us. And I'll give you this information, and I promise you that nobody's going to call or, or, or try to bother you with it. If, if you like what you see and you want more information, I'll be glad to do that. By the way, that income for the 67-year-old, 59.56, there's a schedule there that they guarantee over 10 years that that income base, our income, um, the guaranteed lifetime income, will go up every year that you don't take it. So kind of like Social Security, you know, they, they're going to give you 10 years, and they will guarantee that that income will go up. So after one year, the income of 59.56 would go to 64.61, so 6,461. So if you were to wait two years, and by the way, this is for a 67-year-old. I actually would be 68 at that point in time because you waited two years. The uh, $6,461 is pretty good. If you were uh, older than that, let me go back and let's say you were starting off at 76. So 76, I'm going to go 75 because I'm going to start taking the income at 76. So a 75-year-old, because your life expectancy isn't quite as long as uh, somebody who's in their mid-60s, you're 12 months from now, you would be able to, to get $7,309, and they'll guarantee that income for as long as you live. Um, that's pretty good. 
And so if the if you said, well, you know what? I really don't need that yet. What would I get if I waited till I was 77? And the answer is 8,022. That's pretty good. That's really, I, it's hard to get, that's a very good rate in today's environment where you're looking at long-term treasuries at about 1.3. The difference between the two is long-term treasury has market risk. That means if interest rates go up, the bond price will come down. You'll have to wait 30 years for it to mature or, or until it matures, whatever that date is, probably not 30 years from now. Um, because interest rates aren't going to climb up that much, hopefully, in the next six months. But you could potentially have to wait you know, an extremely long time to sell a government bond and get your money back or not take a loss on the bond, uh, and you're only getting a very small amount of, of income. And that's one of the reasons that I'm, I'm not too fond of that. I think it, if you need money for something, you're going to need it over the next four to five years. You don't put it in this. And you don't put it in the stock market either. Either, in this case, in that case, you're going to have to take a uh, a CD because you need to n- the money. Now, if you're going to use the money for to fund your retirement, that's different, you know, because that you're going to take the income off the money, or you're just going to take a a systematic withdrawal from your stock funds, where we say, look, I'm going to take out four or five percent a year. Uh, I'm going to set that up so that it comes out automatically. I'm going to get any dividends from the fund and I'm going to take the uh, some shares and sell off fractions of shares or whole shares to make up the income that I need to take. Now, what I'm what I'm um, assuming there is that the dividend plus the share price appreciation is going to keep up with or even surpass the amount that I'm spending. And that's called a systematic withdrawal. Everybody should know that. Systematic withdrawal. You will have to do that more than likely. Well, the vast majority of people will. will have to set up some sort of a systematic withdrawal system. Now, the big danger there is if you're 100% in stock funds and the market goes down a lot like it did in 2000, then it got right. It, as soon as it, almost as soon as it made it back to the old high, it crashed and went down further than it did the first time. So if you were taking out 5 or 6%, in March of 2000, and you had an all-stock portfolio, you're probably out of money by now. You ran out of money. Why? Because the sequence of events, the sequence of events and the, and the sequence of returns related to those events, it was just bad luck. So, And you don't want bad luck. You want to try to insulate yourself from, from bad luck affecting your retirement as much as you possibly can. You can't get rid of the risk, but you can do a lot to manage it. I think these products go a long way towards that. I think you do need to have stock funds out there. I think there are specific types of stock funds that are going to do better than other stock funds will over the long time periods. And uh, we will talk about that definitely next week. I'll, I'll pull out some algorithms and I'll explain exactly how they're picking those stocks in those funds. And by the way, I already own them or I wouldn't be talking about them. Uh, so, and I do need to disclose when I own something that I'm talking about. So if you want to tune back in next week, we'll be uh, uh, going into a little bit more detail into how they work and why they work. Incidentally, investing is like 95% in your head. It's 5% real knowledge, 95% attitude. And not too different from a lot of sports, actually. But uh, anyway. I hear the music. That means I got to take a real quick commercial break. This is Bill Bullington right here on 1420. Stay tuned because I will be right back. Does he 
top, I built my heart up, sitting on top, winning, but that ain't winning. I've chased all the good stuff, all the bad stuff, stuff the world calls. And I'm back. But that ain't living. Pretty good songs to start the new year out with. Oh, how many of you recognize Danny Goki? He was a, uh, oh, was it a um, America's Got Talent? Pardon me? Oh, it's American Idol. Yeah. One of those shows. But uh, yeah, he did very well. Anyway, um, so we were talking a little bit about the fixed, in, fixed products, options there. Uh, they make a lot of sense, I think, for an awful lot of people. I have it. Yeah, I wouldn't talk about something unless I owned it, incidentally. Um, and um, it's a fairly significant portion of my portfolio, too, especially at my age. It's kind of funny. Um, but anyway, one of the other things I, I want to talk about, there's some legislation coming out, and uh, I'll give this about two or three minutes, and then we'll go to stocks because I know i got a lot of people out there that just want to hear the stocks. By the way, you guys, um, I won't be doing the stocks until the last 15 minutes of each show. So you could always, if you wanted to set your timers, <laughs> right around 11.45, but, so I'll get through this really quickly. Anyway, the SECURE Act 2.0 is a set of enhancements to 401ks and other retirement savings programs, which have been in the works well, pretty much since the SECURE Act passed. Its House version includes such elements as permitting employers to match amounts employees pay a student loan debt service with the intention to speed up repayment so those employees can move on to retirement savings sooner. Oh, yeah, that's going to go over big with employers. Um, anyway requiring employers who already offer retirement plans to automatically enroll new employees in those plans with an opt-out opportunity. So when you sign uh, the, whatever you sign to go to work and to accept a job, you're going to automatically have money taken out of your account and put into your 401k plan unless you give them specific instructions not to. That's that's kind of interesting. They're going to increase the catch-up contributions for those 50 and older. That's pretty good. They're already, they're already pretty, uh, uh, liberal there, and they're going to make that a little bit better. That's, that's awesome. Gradually increasing the age at which required minimum distributions take effect, ultimately up to age 75. Uh, if you're not 72 yet, you probably don't know what this is. If you're above the age of 70, you've probably heard of it, and you may not have to take money out until you're 72. This is something that you need to talk with a tax advisor about. I do not have a license to to due taxes or the certificate um, showing that I have the uh, authority to file taxes on, you know, clients' returns. I have a enrolled agent who's on retainer. So if you have questions, I uh, can hook you up with him. And uh, if it's just a simple question and you're a client, I pay for it. If you just want to use them to do your taxes, you pay for it. Uh, and uh, he's very reasonable and does a great job. Thank goodness. I hate hate keeping the reading that I have to do on taxes is the uh, mind boggling. So very thankful to have somebody like that in my uh, acquaintanceship so that I can refer and ask my own questions. In fact, he's helped me out a million times on my stuff. Anyway, the early versions of build back better bill went in further requiring that all employers with five or more employees, they would be required to offer a retirement plan. And, uh, for their employees with a 6% automatic contribution for new employees with opt-out permitted. So in other words, when you take a job with a company and the company has more than five employees, 
They're going to take out 6% of your pay and set it up in something that's an, an IRA, basically. And it's going to be a simple IRA. Uh, it doesn't have nearly the paperwork. So this is not going to be an option. You, you go to work for a business, and the, the businesses that have more than, what's it, five employees, uh, it's not that big of a deal. If you have a payroll um, company that does your payroll, if you're doing it yourself, it's going to be a pain. You just, but it's actually just another form you fill, and you know, you've got to have the money taken out, and they'll send it to wherever it's supposed to go. But the bottom line is uh, I've never seen anything this small. An employer of five has now got to help you set up a retirement plan, and it's going to make you take out 6%. Now, you can opt out of it. That's that's according to this. Who knows what the final bill is going to look like when it gets passed. But according to this, you can still opt out of it, but it's got to be an automatic by the employer to set up an IRA. That means it's the money's going to come out pre-tax, which is a great idea. I, it is a great idea. It's just that telling people that you're going to do this, I don't know. I understand. You know, there people need to save money for retirement. And if you're doing this, if they have to say, no, I don't want to do that, and uh, they have to fill out a form, maybe they're not as likely to fill out the form or object to it. And what do you know? Now they're saving 6% on top of the money that they take out for Social Security. And you take those two together, and you probably make a dent. Uh, and probably go a long way towards helping them build, especially if they're really young. If you're in your 20s and you're taking out 6% and you work until you're in your mid-60s, that's probably going to be a lot of money at some point in time. It's probably going to be a lot of money, more than you could probably even imagine. You know, It's amazing when you start looking at what happens to uh, share price appreciation over time. Look at the stock market. Look at the Dow or the S&P 500. It's, it's pretty wild. Having said that, I am, uh, I'm doing, I'm running a scan and I pre-recorded this show, so don't take any of this. Always make sure that you do your homework. And let me tell you what your homework is. If you're a, a long-term trader, uh, that, that is an oxymoron if I've ever heard one. <laughs> a long-term trader is looking for a stock to make a big move. Not, I'm going to capture a couple cents a share or I'm going to get a dollar a share. That, those are short-term traders, and the vast majority of them, they, the other name for them is loser. Um, they rarely win, rarely. And you don't have the money that it takes to compete with the big firms that can make that work. That's why they, you're just being taken advantage of. And if you do end up making money, it's going to be luck, and you're going to give it back at some point in time. Um, unless you figure out a, a super formula that nobody on the planet has ever thought of, by the way, your odds of winning the lottery today are, are much higher than figuring out something that nobody's ever thought of in the financial markets because there are only 7 billion people on the planet and you're one. <laughs> and uh, even if only a third or let's say 20% of the, the people on the planet have ever given a lot of thought or any thought to making money in stocks, only, only 2 out of 10, 1 out of 5 ever even thought about the stock market, that's 1.4 billion people that you've got to beat. You have to be better than than 1.4 billion. That's a lot. Okay, I don't want to do that. So you have an edge if you're going to be a longer term trader. You do have an edge. It's uh, it's still pretty rough. Okay, so if you go to the website, look out for the bull. You'll you'll know what I mean. And I I can't wait until we can start meeting again. 
so I can kind of show that some of this stuff. It, a lot of it hasn't changed a lot. There have been a couple changes since the last time I did it, and uh, it's a, uh, it's interesting. Boy, stocks move fast. I mean, you actually have to go back to the early 1900s before there was an SEC and the market was being manipulated all the time <laughs> to see stocks move as fast as they do today. Think about that for a second. They did move as they moved faster. Late 1890s, early 1900s, stocks moved faster than they do today. If you can believe that or not. But the, um, not all of them and not all the time. But anyway, so I'm looking at scans. And you know what? The day's not over yet. There are 53 stocks in this scan. That's a very good number. What does that tell me? It tells me that looks good, um, that right now the market's pretty strong. Uh, this January normally is a pretty good month for the market. There are a lot of reasons for that, but uh, a lot of them are probably changing as, I, as I'm saying that. The, uh, but if you uh, want to take a look at something, look at Cigna. That's an, the big health insurance company. The price to sales ratio on that is 0. 0.40 if my data is correct. So, And I should say that this may not be that correct because the, uh, of the database that I'm using it for that. It's really for price movement, not the sales and, and other financial information that goes along with that. Sometimes it just doesn't get updated as quickly as the really good stuff does. So take that with a grain of salt. Anyway, Cigna's got a really nice looking chart. The uh, symbol is CI. Uh, if the price to sales ratio is really that low, that, that's a good one. And uh, so there's another one that I, uh, this is a Century Aluminum. It's got a good looking chart. Uh, what's his name? Uh, who's it? The guy that, uh, William, oh shoot. Don't get old people. Anyway, uh, uh, the guy that owns uh, Investor's Business Daily. <laughs> Just, I can't believe I can't. I'm not remembering anything anyway. Anyway, there's a cup and handle pattern on Century Aluminum, C-E-N-X. And uh, if you've ever uh, read anything about that, then you, you know what I'm talking about. And so that one looks pretty good. Uh, here's the precision drilling, oil and gas. It's coming up. It's not a cup and handle pattern. It's just the stock broke out today. Uh, volumes up higher than normal and the market's not closed yet so it's a 30-day new high uh it's it's up in the top 20 percent over the past 90 days last three months as far as the price performance goes so that one looks good yeah there's a company called vistion i remember that auto parts i really i do not like auto parts so that this is what really um hurts me is it's got a nice looking chart but i hate the industry <laughs> Why do I hate the industry? Because the profit margins on auto parts are crappy at best. Now, they don't, uh, ain't no Microsoft out there. <laughs> Those guys have a hard time uh, showing a profit. And then the parts change and the parts that they're making today maybe have a few years of uh, shelf life before, they, the, the, before the demand drops like a rock. And with all the electric cars coming on, yeah, a lot of the parts for the older cars, the good old older cars, are just kind of like the, uh, I don't know, the cars from the early 1900s. You can still get parts for them somewhere. Yeah, but I'm sure that there aren't big manufacturers that are growing real fast that are making them. And this is interesting. I'm going to have to look this one up. Symbol is EPC. It's called Edgewell Personal Care, and it says consumer defensive sector, household and personal products. I like the household and personal product categories. Those are things like, you know, Procter & Gamble um, sells a bunch of personal products. And uh, Tide, you probably recognize, Febreze, uh, Pampers, a bunch of stuff like that. 
Why do I like that? Because people are going to buy diapers for their kids no matter about how bad the economy gets. Um, they might start using them a little longer, which is kind of sad. I'm just kidding. The, uh, but they're going to use those products. And so these guys are going to have to go up. I, actually, I've never even looked at that before. And here's another one. The semiconductor, some of the ke- semiconductor stocks have still been running. You know, they've been running for a long time now. We've been talking about that for quite a while on, the, uh, on this show. Um, there's a bank that came up, uh, South Plains Financial, SPFI. It's, this is a small company, small bank. I, I would probably, on that one, I would give it more wiggle room. Uh, actually, that could be just an investment. It, its price-to-sales ratio is 1.96. The average for the industry is somewhere between 3 and 4. You know, so that's a pretty big gain from where it is right now, potentially a, a double. That's not bad. I'll, I'll take something like that. Let's see. Uh, Canada Natural Resources, and eh, that one's okay. Um, the scans that I'm going through, by the way, are the same scans that, that um, Mike Seeger publishes on the Lookout for the Bull website. Uh, it's a cheap website. I helped them set it up, uh, taught them how to run the scans, what, what people need to know to be able to protect themselves if they're going to be. Uh, long-term trader. And the only reason I, I talk about this is I used to do a lot more of it. It's fun for me. Um, I don't mind getting stopped out. That means losing money uh, because I know I'm not going to be losing a lot of money when I do that. And that's the key. That's the whole key. If you're going to be a long-term trader, the key is don't lose a lot of money. Warren Buffett said that was a key to, to long-term investing as well. You know, so don't lose money. Uh, another, but he'll buy a stock that it'll go down and it'll be worth less than he paid for it, but he'll, he'll hang on to it forever. And uh, he just tries to buy really good businesses and just kind of hang in there. That, that's interesting. Since I said that, so Coca-Cola was one of the largest holdings that he had, and he was, he's been one of the largest shareholders for decades. And uh, that stock peaked in 1998, okay? So it was almost 1999. And back when the market corrected again uh, last, you know, in March of 2020, it was actually below, it was 20% below the highest price that it had reached in 1998. That's why I have trouble doing the same thing he does. <laughs> I would <laughs> to go 22 years, and uh, actually he's still profitable. He bought it in 1987, 1988, so he's made a ton of money. I'm sure that's why he didn't sell it. He had such big gains. But man, I mean, to be going negative for, you know, 22 years, yeah, I don't know. Hey, that's why he's Warren Buffett, though. He's tough. <laughs> he can do that. And the uh, guy's 90 now, too. That, that's an amazing, amazing part of that. So anyway, uh, this is a very specific type of trading, and it's not for everybody. By the way, there's a uh, bank. This one has only been public uh, a couple of years. It's uh, South Plains Financial. It just came up on a scan. SPFI is a symbol. I don't own this one, by the way. This just came up on one of my scans. NISource is uh, NI. It's a utilities-type company. I forget what the, uh, I think it's oil and gas or electric. I can't remember. Um, There are only several thousand of these. But I'm getting the signal that I only have a little bit of time left. Why these stocks pop up here and why they're significant is written about in detail on Look Out for the Bull. Um, it is a uh, something I like doing. If, if you like stocks, it, it's fun uh, for a lot of people. If you don't like stocks and you don't have 
a lot of uh, patience and a lot of courage, it's going to be torture. <laughs> so I would just say just skip this segment of the show. Uh, don't worry about it and uh, never go to that website. But if you're challenged, if you'd like some help, there's, uh, and that's one of, the, one of the reasons I started the website is that people can rely on one another. You can call me uh, if you're um, a subscriber there, and I can tell you, pick your mood up, I guess, but because everything I've done has been laid out in writing on that website, uh, everything you need to do, I should say. And uh, you just need to learn how to master it. You know, it's like a lot of other things. Relatively, hitting a golf ball is a relatively simple thing. Go out and give it a shot. <laughs> Try to get good at it. You know, you just have to swing really hard and make sure the club head is flat when it strikes the ball. Okay. Now go out and try to do that. Okay. And that, that's a lot what, you know, actually stocks are easier because there's no physical skill that you have to have there. You just have to remember the rules and stick to the rules. Now that I hear the music, the rule is my show is over. So you've been listening to Bill Bullington. I'll be back here next Saturday morning at 11 o'clock. Feel free to reach out at BullingtonCapital.com if you have any questions. Have a good week, everybody. Good luck and get invested. You just caught another edition of the Bullington Capital Report, broadcasting every Saturday at 11 a.m. on AM 1420, The Answer. If you have a question and you'd like to speak to Bill personally, you can call him at 330-664-0700. That's 330-664-0700. Or online at BullingtonCapital.com. That's BullingtonCapital.com. The preceding program has been paid for by Bullington Capital Management, LLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.